you're listening to the Country Bible Sermon Cast. This sermon, titled Don't Forget the Why, was presented by Andrew Anderson on August 20th, 2017. What's going on, church? How y'all doing? Man, I cannot tell you with, with adequate words how excited I am to be preaching again. I have missed you. I have missed being in the pulpit. And so you had better buckle up now. Turn to your neighbor and just say right now, say buckle up. Because it's coming. I got four weeks pent up energy to give you. And I'm about to give it to you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at CBC. I'm so glad you chose to come and be a part of what God's doing here today. I hope you encounter God in wild ways today, through relationships, a smiling face, hot coffee, and a great worship experience. For those of you who are joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. We'd love to have you say, take some time in the future to come and check out our physical campus, but we're glad that you're able to be a part of our online community as well. Let me invite you up front to grab your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Titus. If you're not sure where that is, you can find it in the front of your Bible. There's a table of contents. Or you can start in the back and head 11 chapters over. When you get close to that, you'll run right into the book of Titus. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, or you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to have you just raise your hand. And one of our ushers would be glad to bring you a Bible. And these Bibles are yours to have and to keep and to bring with you each week as we work through the work of God together. All right, with your Bibles open, let's go ahead and jump right in with some prayer. Father, this morning we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and meet us right where we're at. And I beg you not to leave us there, but take us where you want us to go. As we learn now from your truth, from your timeless truths, as we study the whole counsel of your word, I pray that your words would literally jump off the page and into our hearts, captivate us and move in us, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be holy to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you know me at all, you know that I have six children, five daughters and one son. Thirteen is, uh, uh, five of them are under the age of 13 right now. One thing that all my kids have in common outside of the, the DNA and the genetic code between their mother and I is that as children, and even now as they're growing up, they ask the same question, Why? Why? Hey, we're going to go on vacation. Why? Well, because that's, that's what we do. Where, where are we going? We're going to go to Florida. Why? Okay, so explain it to them. Uh, are we there yet? No. Why? Well, because it's a 27-hour drive and we're an hour in. Is this, like, is this how it's going to go? <laughs> Why are you asking? Uh, and then you're going, hey, guys, we want you to clean your room. Why? Hey, it's time to, we're going to eat your vegetables. Why? Always questions of asking why. Why are we doing the things we're doing? Somehow or another in life, as children, we're taught or we're brought up innately with this query, with this quandary, with this wanting to understand why we do what we do. But I'm afraid that as we move out of that childlike attitude and mentality and faith and we move toward adulthood, we lose our desire to understand why we do the things that we do and we simply just start running through the motions. Can I tell you that that is one of the, one of the gravest concerns that I have as a pastor is that we would serve a church or be a church that just goes through the motions, that we stop asking the why. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we called to what we're called to? Why are we doing this together? Why am I called to be a part of this? I welcome those questions. I don't ever want us to get complacent as a church and become a church 
or an institution that just simply goes through the motions because that's what we've always done. In today's message, in the final talk of our Timeless Truth series, that's what we're going to address. And typically, at the end of every message, I try to give you the big so what. And what that means is it's, it's, it kind of draws us to ask the question, so what? What's it there for? What now? What's next? What do I do with it? Today, for those of you who are note junkies, I'm going to give you a treat. I'm going to give you the big so what right up front. You ready? Pins out, papers open. Here's the big so what. When we remember why, it changes our attitude and our approach to the how. When we remember the why, it changes our attitude and our approach to the how, how we do it, why we do it, what we're about, what we're doing. And that is the, 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 the kind of the culmination of Paul's letter to Titus as he's pastoring a young church and multiple churches that are popping up all over the island of Crete. Let me just take us back a few weeks to the first week where I introduced some context and culture that will help drive the message today. The Apostle Paul is writing along one of his many missionary journeys, likely from Macedonia, and he writes to a young man that he calls his son in the faith. It's a term of endearment, but it also is a descriptor for their relationship. He's invested in Titus. He's taught Titus. He's brought Titus up. He's taken him in as a son in the faith, as a, as a mentor to a mentee. Titus, throughout Scripture, we, we, we learn or we read in, in the places that he's mentioned that he's a, a man of high credibility. He's a man of high integrity. As part of his DNA, and, and Paul trusts Timothy with some pretty important ministry stuff early on. In fact, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, which was living a wild, reckless life and was allowing that to infiltrate the church, he gave the responsibility to Titus to take and deliver the letter to the church in Corinth, loving them and reprimanding them, correcting them and instructing them. Titus had proved himself to be so responsible with that mission and that ministry that he continues to pour an investment. In fact, he's given the responsibility of taking the second letter to the church in Corinth. And not only that, but he's given the responsibility then to become the pastor of the multiple churches that are popping up all over the island of Crete. Now, Crete is a, a large island off of the, kind of off the Mediterranean uh, in Asia Minor, and there are churches popping up with populations that are, that are crazy. It's growing like crazy. And as he's a, a young pastor, Paul writes this letter to Titus in between two letters that he wrote to Timothy, who was also a young pastor, but in Ephesus. These letters draw several parallels, several similarities, because they're both young pastors who are pastoring in communities and contexts where faith is brand new, where it's a new idea, it's a new understanding, this relationship with Jesus, the, this movement of Christianity, also known as the way. And he writes Titus this all-important letter talking about several things. The establishment of the church. The establishment and the importance of leadership in the church. Because as there's multiple churches popping up, Titus cannot be responsible for all of them. So he's tasked with the responsibility of identifying, qualifying, and credentialing or raising up these elders and these leaders in the local church. And then disseminating them out to do the work of the ministry that God's called them to. He's given the responsibility to lead the bigger church in general. Not only that, but he's given the responsibility of continuing to educate and equip and encourage and love and inspire and motivate and do life and ministry together with these other pastors in these other communities, these other churches. 
So he does a great job at that. But another key theme that we see, and Kevin Barnhill did a fantastic job last week introducing this, is the idea that every believer is going to exhibit good works. That a part, a byproduct, the fruit of a growing Christian are the good deeds that we do. Not that that saves us in and of itself, but that good works is a byproduct of our salvation. Now at the same time, keep in mind that Titus is, is ministering to a, a, a community where their national identity as Cretans, what the, they were a group of liars. They were a group of, of thieves. They were a group of individuals who were living reckless lives. That was their national identity. To be called a Cretan was a form of an insult. So Titus is now trying to minister to a group of people, bringing about the whole counsel of God's word, the truth in its entirety, and share with, with consistent and, 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 and intentional theology. But there are false teachers that are intentionally lying and, 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 and causing divisions among people, among whole families, among churches. And so he's wrestling with then how to raise up a church of young believers, of new believers who, who are growing stronger in their faith, who are doing life and ministry together in and amongst a community full of liars, full of cretins that were there to, uh, to, to steal, to, 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 to lie, to pull away from. Last week, Kevin read, and I want to finish up, I want to kind of start where he finished up in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, as a setup for today's message. It says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, he made us right, righteousness, just as though it had never happened. He talked, Kevin talked about last week, justification, or just as though it had never happened, in his sight and gave us a confidence that we will inherit eternal life. What that is, is that is... Paul introducing scripture to Titus and, and, and what I love about the apostle Paul and what I love about the apostle Peter and what I love about what happens throughout the, the, the pastoral epistles is that when they're teaching, they're not teaching on their own authority. They're not teaching based on their own good ideas, but on God's idea. And what, what, what you'll hear me say throughout is that almost always in every passage, it points the reader back to the authority of scripture. Quoting straight from the mouth of God. Not their opinions, not their ideas, not their ideologies, not their own theologies, but straight from the mouth of God. And that's exactly what Paul does here with Titus, which leads us then into verse 8 of chapter 3, when Paul says to Titus, rather, this is a trustworthy saying. He stresses to Titus in Crete, that what he had just said, what he had just read from the counsel of God's word was a trustworthy saying. And the reason that we stop to stress this is because Paul is talking to Titus who's dealing with a bunch of liars who have allowed these false teachers, these false theologians to come into the church and they are now being paid. They are paid orators who are, who are drawing money from people to preach a message or an ideology rather than a whole theology or a biblical theology and for their own personal gain. 
and it's confusing the new believers, and it's, it's stressing the church, and it's stressing the new believers, and Titus is wrestling with the, 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 this juxtaposition of wanting to lead the new church into, into whole, uh, the whole council of God's words and true theology, but they're allowing this outside influence to come in and so what Paul does then is he says, make sure you understand and make sure those that you're ministering to understand that despite what they're hearing over here from this group, despite what they've, what they've picked up on over here, what I am sharing is the whole truth. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, you can trust God's word. You can take him at his word. Which is why as a church, every time we come ac across a prophecy fulfilled, we, we, we really emphasize that. It drives home the point all the more that we can trust God, that we can take him at his word, that, there, that the word of God is, is inerrant, that it is perfect, that it is entire, it is complete, it is free from flaw, free from error, that it is active, that it is alive, and it is still being written in our hearts today, that it is good for the building up, the edification, the correction, the, 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 the whole counsel of God's word changes everything. And that we weigh everything as believers with Scripture. And so Titus is hearing this. He's saying, yes, yes, this is a trustworthy saying. This is complete. This is whole. This is true. And Paul says, and I want you to insist on these teachings, not the lies, not the deceptions, not the divisions, but on the teachings of God so that all who trust in God. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because there seems to be a reason that Paul points out this divide of belief in God versus trust in God. And make no mistake about it, church, there's a big difference. You see, believing in God, well, that doesn't take really a whole lot, does it? Even Satan and the enemy and, 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 and his demons believe in God. There are a lot of people who believe in God. But to trust in God means that you bow your heart and that you bend your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You are putting your whole trust, your soul trust, the soul that God has given you and equipped you through the Spirit of God, and your soul as in your entire trust to God. All that I am and all that I have, I give you. I don't just believe you, but I am giving myself over to you. There are a lot of people who practice religion who believe in God. But that is not to be mistaken for those who trust God and have given themselves over to God. Where do you sit this morning? Have you been running through the motions, stopped asking why, and just kind of have gone through the motions of religiosity? You just go to church, and you stopped asking why, it's just something you do? Or maybe you go with wrong intentions in mind. Maybe you come to the church because it's a, an opportunity for you to network with other people who have businesses in the community. Maybe it's an opportunity if you're a single guy to hook up with one of those amazing, good, godly girls in church. They are pretty girls. As a father of five daughters, let me warn you if you're coming to church to be hooking up with some of our girls. We got lots of dads like me up in this place. Maybe you're coming because your wife made you come. Maybe you're coming because you're, you're entertained. Maybe you're coming because you're afraid to go to hell. Maybe you're coming because football hasn't started. We got two more weeks of preseason. I don't know why you're here, but I'm glad you are, and it's not by mistake. It is ordained by God. 
that you are here this morning, and my prayer is that you open up your ears and your heart to receive what he has for you this morning. Belief in God is not the same as trust in God. God is calling each one of us to put our soul trust in him. And he says this, the difference is devotion. He says, so that those who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. This isn't a fleeting thought or just some pastime. This isn't a social club that you can come to and just hang out. That's not what this is. When you put your soul trust in God, you give a devotion over to God. You devote your time. You devote your energy. You devote your efforts. You devote your relationships. You do, let me explain the difference. Belief in God is, is very different than trusting God. And trusting God, when you devote yourself to God entirely, I want you to think about a bicycle wheel for just a moment, if you will. In the middle of every bicycle wheel is an axle. Attached to that axle are various spokes. These spokes give support to the rim. The rim it has a, a, a tube around that tube. The tube is full of air. And outside of the tube is, 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 is the tire or the traction. Without devoting yourself to God, it is like trying to be a Christian without the axle. If you don't have an axle, those spokes have nothing to draw strength from. And if you try to put pressure on a rim with, with spokes that don't have an axle from which they draw their strength, it will eventually get bent up and broken, and it will become a very rough ride. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been going through life like this. You've been pedaling, and it's like this. And it's just a rough ride. And you look down, and you can't figure out what's going on. you got a broken center. Jesus Christ is called to be the center of your life. And when you devote your life to Jesus, everything flows out of that devotion. The spokes of your life attached to the rim. The rim of your life has an inner tube that is full of the Holy Spirit that gives you strength. And that's where you get the tire that gives you traction to live the life that God's called you to live. If you're here this morning and you're just going through life and it's a rough ride and you can't, you're not sure, and you, this is, you, you better check the center and see where you're drawing your strength from and what you're devoted to. Because as long as you devote yourself to your job, well, you're just putting way too much strength on a, on an, uh, 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 on a spoke, and it's going to snap and break. As long as you're devoting yourself to your finances, it's just a cheap imitation. It's just a spoke that's bound to snap and break. As long as you're devoting yourself to alcohol and substance abuse, it's just a spoke, and it's bound to snap and break. But when you devote yourself to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, he becomes a center, and everything flows out of that. Then he says, these teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. That is one of the truest tests for biblical theology and preachers today. There are tele-evangelists that are getting paid millions of dollars all across the globe to teach a theology and a doctrine that does not benefit everyone but pads their own pockets. You see, the word of God and preaching the whole counsel of God's word becomes beneficial to everyone. So when you hear a preacher start preaching and doing a thing that the preacher does, you have to ask yourself, is this beneficial for the entire body or is it just benefiting him. There were false teachers that were teaching messages 
that were benefiting them, that were patting their own pockets, that were building up their own reputations, that were building up their own head knowledge. And that's the thing even with biblical preachers. These guys that come up on stage, maybe they're making a lot of money, maybe they're not tele-evangelists, but they come in on Sundays and they preach a message that you can't understand five ways from Sunday, and they're preaching all this head knowledge, but the problem with that is head knowledge builds up while applied knowledge, or head knowledge puffs up while applied knowledge builds up. They come in, and, and what's in it for them is that you think higher of them than, they, than, than you ought. You, you build them up, and you sit there, and you're just in awe that they use this, these words that you can't pronounce, and they explain this theology, theological position that you don't understand, and well, because of how they do it, they must be right, and then you, you kind of surrender yourself to them, and, and you're just in awe of them, and, and, and that's not benefiting the body. That's benefiting them. I don't ever want to be that kind of a preacher. I want to be the kind of a pastor that can take a complex theological idea and distill it down to where you can apply it to your life. Because that builds up the church. I don't need you to think that I'm some great theologian. I have a mirror every morning to remind me of whose I am and who I am. True teachings. True biblical sound, wholesome teachings are good and beneficial for everyone, Paul says. Verse 9. Do not get involved in foolish discussions. Can I give you some modern vernacular for what I believe a translation would, would say today? Don't get involved in stupid talk. Don't get involved in stupid talk about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. What, what, what Paul is addressing here are religious leaders that cared more about adhering to 613 rules and regulations than they did about a right relationship with Jesus. They care more about their spiritual practices and going through the motions. You see, they stopped asking why a long time ago, and they just started going through the motions, and just because. Because it's what we've always done. But you always do what you've always done. You're always going to get what you've always got. You see, we need to keep asking why. We need to, we need to, 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 to change our attitude and our approach with the how by asking the why. Why do we do the things God's called us to do? Let me, let me encourage you right up front. In two weeks from today... We're going to start a series entitled At My Church. And that entire series is devoted to explaining to you and to anybody and everybody that wants to know why we do what we do and why we are who we are. Please don't miss that series. It's a part of your DNA if you call this church your home. So here, Paul is telling Titus... Look, you got a bunch of religious leaders around you. You got a bunch of people who like to hear the sound of their own voice. They like to argue, get into stupid talk about spiritual pedigrees and in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. But he tells them, look, these things are useless and a waste of time. Why are they useless and a waste of time? Because people are dying and going to hell. Life is short, hell is hot, and I do not want to be caught finding, God finding me arguing about religion rather than going and taking a right relationship with Jesus to the world at large. I want to be about the business of Jesus, which is clear. Go make disciples of all nations. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The reason he's pointing this out is what he had just said before that about preachers who preach and what's beneficial for them. 
You see, people who like to get into useless arguments or stupid talk, it's because either they're insecure or, 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 or they want you to think more highly of them than you ought to. I don't have time for that. If you want to have an honest conversation about theology, I'm open to that. You want to talk about doctrine and why we believe what we believe, and, and I'm open to that. But if you want to just talk for the sake of hearing yourself talk and argue for the sake of hearing yourself argue, I love you, but I ain't got time for you. I, I don't. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I have no interest in giving my energy, efforts, time, mental capacity to trying to convince you of something that you have no intentions of even listening to. These things, Paul says, these things are useless and a waste of time. You know, I have, uh, I have a, a, a friend that I've really come to love and respect who's a mentor to me. And he talks about he actually wrote a letter to his family. And in this letter, he talks about heritage and what we have to leave behind. And one of the things he says that we have to invest that we never get back is how we spend our time. You can lose a fortune and win it back or earn it back, work it back. You can lose a relationship and build new relationships. But the one thing that God has given you to invest that you can never take back is how you spend your time. Do you want to spend your time caught up in useless, pointless, stupid talk? I don't. I would much rather spend my time building into the lives of people, bringing them the hope of Jesus, and doing life and ministry with them. And he goes on to say, verse 10, if people are causing divisions among you, Give a first and a second warning. And after that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I need to talk about it. This isn't the first time that Paul addresses this with Titus. Do you remember a few weeks ago, in fact, kind of the onset of the series, Paul talked about people who were giving false teachings and false doctrine that were dividing whole families, that were pulling whole families away from the truth? Well, here, it's obviously important enough for Paul to address it a second time. One of the concerns that I have as a preacher and as a pastor is that some people will take this and they'll misrepresent this. They'll say, well, this is Matthew 18, 15, that if a brother sins against you, you go to that person, you tell them the, the error of their ways, and if they turn from it, you've won a brother back to the Lord. If that doesn't work, then you go with an elder or you go with the leader in the church and you show them the error of their ways. And if that doesn't work, then you bring them before the congregation, you show them the error of their ways. It's called church discipline. And if that doesn't work, then you kick them out the doors and you treat them as you would a pagan or someone who did, wasn't a believer. And that's an uncomfortable topic. Church discipline is something that's very uncomfortable. But it shouldn't be. Because as a parent, I have no problem telling you that I discipline my children and why. Do you know why I discipline my children? Because I love them and I want the best for them. Because I care for them, I want to protect them and I want to raise them up to be right and to do right. And so I unapologetically discipline my children. I have no problem snatching my kids up by the back of the scruff of their neck, getting eye to eye with them and making sure they know where they stand with me. I have no problem taking away their phone. I have no problem taking away their, 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 you know, their, their extracurricular activities. I have no problem. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And there are some circumstances, this isn't really popular today either. There are some circumstances where I don't have a problem taking my kid over my knee. In love, explaining to them why they're about to get a pow-pow. 
And they get one pow-pow, and you say, you need a pow-pow? No, I do not need a pow-pow, Daddy. That's good. Then straighten up and act right. You know, my kids sometimes don't listen. They may run themselves in the middle of a highway, and if they start to do that, I'm going to snatch them up and give them a pow-pow. Why? Because I want them to associate that pain with, with what just happened. You know, far be it for me to have a kid run in the middle of a highway, they get hit by a car, and I said, ah, I, never, I never disciplined them. They didn't know any better. No, my kids will know better. I'm not afraid of discipline. But why are we afraid of it in the church? It's just a whole lot easier to, 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 to sweep it under the rug and just talk about love. Just, just, just fluff, warm and fluffy. There are things in the church we need to call out, and Paul calls it out right here. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. This is not a Matthew 18, 15 principle. Matthew 18, 15 refers to a brother or an individual, a singular person that has caused you sin or harm. What Paul says right here, plain text, what the word of God calls us to as we read this is he said, if people among you, that is plural, that is people that surround us, and it says are causing divisions among you. How are divisions caused? Well, they put their own priorities in front of the benefit of the body. They want to gossip and they want to talk bad about the preacher. They want to talk bad about one another. They want to get caught up in things that don't matter in theological debates and discussions. They want to do things for their own gain and their own benefit. And people don't want to talk about this. I actually had a couple, uh, more than a couple of people in the recent months talk to me about just, just when, I, when, I was, when I first started this series, I talked about uh, church splits. And I really came at it hard. Why? Because the word of God comes at it hard. And, and here, the thing that Paul is addressing again is, is he's saying, look, if people among you are causing problems, if they're causing division, if they're, if, if they're being disobedient and they're causing divisions among you, give them a first and second warning and then kick them to the curb. Like, that's modern vernacular? But he says, kick them in the can and send them on their way. Why? Because we have an incredible responsibility to protect the unity of the body of Christ. The body of believers. Not to allow it to go on where people are sowing seeds of dissension and causing problems in the church and you're afraid to address it because your feelings might get hurt or they might be mad at you. Let them be mad at you. We are called to be a body of believers, a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't ever know, a I've never met a family that cares more about their brother or sister liking them than they do about telling on them. <laughs> I got six kids. They prefer telling on them than liking them. They look for opportunities to tell on them. And I'm not saying that we do that either, but I'm saying that, look, God built in us a, a, an ability to, to, to tell on, on people when they're doing wrong. Why would we ignore that in the church? You can't. We shouldn't. People come in here and they start talking bad about your preacher. You stop them. You say, look, I'm not asking you to like my preacher, but he's my preacher. I'm not asking you to like my church, but you came here. And there's no place for you here sowing seeds of dissension, causing problems and quarrels among others, talking about how great these other churches are and that you should go here or you should do that or we should start our own church. Shut up! Why? Because the word of God says so. Warn them once. Stop it, okay? We're on the same page. Knock it off. Get going. Hey, man, man, didn't I tell you not to talk that way? Didn't I tell you to stop causing quarrels? All right. Man, that's it. Get out of here. Get it. There's no place for that in the body. We see this example throughout Scripture. All the way to the Old Testament when shepherds would protect the flock with, with, with a shepherd's rod and with a sword. 
You get these people coming in to the, to the flock, predators trying to prey on, on, on new believers or on, on innocent believers. The shepherds were not, oh, you, oh, come on in. There's room for everybody. You can go ahead, oh, share nicely, talk how you, no. They'd take these lions and these bears and these, these wolves. They'd have their way with them. Beat them. And I'm not saying that we do that to people. I'm not saying you get a staff and a sword and go out there and just start ripping off heads. It's not what I'm suggesting. What I am saying is that this is your church. And as your church, as the body of Christ that God has called you to be a part of, you have a responsibility to protect it. Don't let that stuff go unnoticed. Call it out. Do it in love, but call it out. When we're unified, we're unstoppable. He says, after that, I have nothing more to do. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. In other words, it's not our responsibility to judge them. People who cause divisions in the church will have to stand before the Lord God Almighty and be held responsible for their actions. Verse 9 is clear about what we do with our time and the kind of conversations we're involved with. Then he turns his attention to leadership in the church and the importance of pastors and pastoral care. In verse 12, he says, I'm planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. I find it interesting that instead of just directing Titus to leave what he was doing to come hang out with him, he cares for the church deeply. And he wants and he understands the need for pastoral leadership over the church. This is a young church. These are young churches, young believers. And so what he does is he takes two individuals, Artemis and Tychicus, that he has been pouring into, that he's been developing, that he's been working with, that have been in life and ministry with him, that have been raised up for the, the ministry of the pastoral ministry. And he says, one of them is going to come and they're going to take your place within the church. But until they get there, you keep leading. You keep doing what God's called you to do. You don't take a time out. You don't take a break. You, you, you do the things God's called you to do. And, 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 and it, the church matters so much to me that, that when they get there, I want, you to, I want you to hurry out and, and meet them, bring them in, introduce them, get them going. And then, and then once the pastoral leadership of the church has been established, then come and meet me in Nicopolis. If, if God cares so much about pastoral leadership in the church and the direction that we're headed and how we're supposed to, to, to be as pastors and leaders and teachers, how much more should we care? He, 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 he makes it really clear that we have an awesome responsibility. And we take our responsibility very serious here. This last week, we left as a staff and as a leadership team. There was 24 of us. Five of us were not able to make it. 24 of us left at 3 o'clock on Thursday and went to Dayton, Iowa for a three-day staff elder retreat. And I do not have the time nor the words to tell you how the Holy Spirit showed up and rocked every one of our worlds. Amen. Uh, breakthroughs happened. 
The Spirit of God, the revelations happened. The things that, 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 that happened are, were, were statistically impossible, improbable. It was, it was crazy how the Lord moved. And, and, and I'm, I, I've never seen it. I've, been, I've, been, I've done in my life over 80 camps and retreats all over the country. As a pastor, I've been involved with countless staff retreats. I've done a lot of different staff retreats where I've been the keynote speaker. I have never experienced anything like I experienced these last three days. We went away so that we could share the vision that God's given us through the word of God so that we could get on the same page and so that we could spend time building community. That's what we were expecting. And the Holy Spirit said, welcome to your retreat. I'm going to flip the switch on you, change the script. It's all about to go down. And I want to tell you right now that you have got a team of staff and elders that are going to recklessly abandon everything to see the gospel advanced here at this church, throughout our community, and beyond. Pastoral leadership matters. Titus has to wait for the pastors to come and prepare him so that he can go and meet Paul. He says, I want you to come, and I'm going to send these two guys to you. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenith the lawyer. That's important to talk about. I hear all the time how there's no lawyer that could ever be a Christian. Well, right here, right here, Zenith the lawyer, and I know plenty of lawyers who love Jesus, and Apollos with their trip. Help them. Do everything you can to help these guys. See that they're given everything that they need. Our people, our people, must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will, be, uh, they will not be unproductive. He says, do everything you can to help these guys. Give them everything that they need to do the ministry that I'm calling them to. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. In our At My Church series, we're going to introduce to you through, that week, or through those weeks what we're calling our One Thing Initiative, where once a month we're going to do one thing that is beyond the four walls of our church that benefit our community. No strings attached. We're going to partner with local civic ministries. We're going to partner with, with, with civic groups. We're going to partner with schools. We're going to figure out what the felt needs of our community are. And once a month, for an entire month, we as a church are going to work to fill that urgent need. We are going to be the hands and feet of Christ in the community. No strings attached. You get to be a part of that. He says, do everything you can. Give yourself completely to it. Remember he just used the word be devoted? Be devoted to this. Every one of us has something to give. And if you're not giving, then what Paul tells Titus is if, 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 if the believers among you are not giving, you're unproductive. You're sitting on the sidelines watching the game go by in front of you. And that's one of two reasons. And I'm going to be honest, either it's because you're lazy or you don't know how to get in the game. I hope you're not lazy. If you are, I'm happy to help pick you up and kick you in the butt and get you going. But if it's because you don't know how to get in the game, Listen, just get in the game. We'll figure it out. There's a lot. You heard like three ministries this morning from Jen Sullivan, our children's director, of how you can get involved. We have more kids than we know what to do with right now. Six months ago, our kids' ministry was at 30 kids a Sunday. Right now, we've got 100, and we're just starting. We need people to wipe noses. You don't have to be a professional theologian to wipe a nose. <laughs> We need people to sit in there. I know I've got six kids myself. You see, you sit there and get on the floor and play with, some, play with some toys with these kids. You don't have to be an engineer to figure out how to play with these kids, to play with the toys sometimes, but not the kids. 
They just want somebody that's going to get down on their level, meet them where they're at, and be the love of Jesus. You could literally change somebody's entire life by getting involved in the kids' ministry. Our youth ministry kicked off last week. We had over 150 people playing kickball. Maybe you can't preach, but can you kick a ball? Can you serve a kid a hot dog? Can you stick around for a few minutes after and help clean up the park? Can you come and lead a discussion group that the, the, the questions are already written for you? Can you make yourself, I mean, we need help on, on Wednesday night at our youth group. That ministry has grown from 40 kids to 200 kids in the last nine months. We need help in the church. Parking, greeting, ushers, like there are so many places to get involved right now. At the end of the service, you're going to hear Pastor Alex talk about something we're going to be doing in the worship center. That there's going to be some changes coming and, and we know that not everybody loves change. In fact, I might be the only one. And that's, I'm okay with that. But it's good change. It's change that's going to make it all the more better and beneficial for us to reach those who need Jesus. It may mean that you don't get to sit in the same spot you always sit in. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> it may mean that, that this Sunday is my last Sunday preaching on this incredible green carpet. <laughs> but we're going to be making some changes and so maybe you don't want to work with kids. Kevin, he said last week, don't put me back there. I'm afraid of them. <laughs> but today we're going to be taking up some carpet. Could you not use an exacto knife and put some, some cuts in the carpet and just pull the carpet up and help haul it to the dump? And we have an entire connections ministry. A whole team devoted to getting you connected to God, to one another, and to the church. There's no reason that you have to be unproductive in your faith. Every one of us is called to be devoted to Christ through the local church. So my question isn't if you're serving, but where you're serving. Let me say that again. My question to you as a devoted followers of Jesus who call this church your home isn't if you're serving. I'm sure you are. So where are you serving? And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know. I'm just gonna help you get there. Our staff walk around. We make it really easy to figure out who we are. We have these lanyards that have our names on it and, and our pictures. I'm the good looking one in the picture. It's because they superimposed Brad Pitt's face on my name tag. But we want to take the guesswork out of it for you and show you how you can get involved in the church so that you can be productive in your faith. You know that he mentions good works more than six times? He must really mean that he wants us to do something with what God's given us. All right, verse 13. Do every, it says do everything you can. I'm sorry, we're gonna jump to verse 15. Everybody here, everybody here, would you do me a favor? This would be a great opportunity for you to circle the word everybody, to highlight it, to make an asterisk. I hear pins clicking. That's good. That's a good sound. Everybody here sends greetings. And please give my greetings to all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. One of the hardest parts about being a Christian is that we have all too easily bought into the lie that we have to figure it out on our own, that we have to do it by ourselves, that people just wouldn't understand us, or that we've messed up so much that we'd be nothing more than a disgrace to people if they found out about what we've done. And so we try to do this thing called life alone. 
now I'll give it to some of you. You're, you're introverted. I've heard about you. And so maybe it's just that you're being introverted. But I've known far too many people who would love to encounter relationships, but they're afraid to because they bought into the lie that they're not good enough or that they're not wanted or that there's no place for them. What Paul says as he finishes his letter to Titus is he says, please, give everyone there my love and make sure make sure that they know that, that we're with them Paul says in, in nearly every one of his, his epistles he says I thank my God for you every time I remember you in my prayers for your faith is being reported all over the world the things you're doing are incredible and I want you to know that I'm here right now, but I want to abandon what I'm doing as quick as I can so I can come to you and minister with you, to do life and ministry with you. We are called as a church to do life and ministry together. You aren't called to go it alone. And let me just say on record that there is nothing too grievous, nothing too gross in your life that you've ever done that will or should keep you from encountering Christ in relationships with others. We're called to do this together. We're called to be productive in our faith, and part of that productivity is to be relational in our ministry. We're called to come together, hand in hand, lockstep, and walk from where God encounters us and go to where he's leading us to go. And that's the kind of church that we're about here. We don't want, uh, and people say all the time, at a big church, it's hard to get connected. Oh, well, we're a bigger church. But it does, we've, 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 we've worked really hard to make it non-cumbersome for you to get involved and connected. But we need you to do some work for us. I'm about the only one maybe that would superimpose myself on you. Hey, welcome to church. Let's go to my office. Let me show you how to get involved. Love you. I'm glad you're here. You can come to my life group. We're having dinner at lunch. You're paying. Let's go. (laughs) And then you won't come back the next week or, or ever. Here's what I know. I know that we want to love you. We desire to meet you where you're at. We desire to get you off the bleachers and into the game. We desire to walk with you as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your knowledge, as you grow in your understanding. We desire to do life and ministry with you, but we need you to let us know who you are so that we can connect with you. I'll be honest, it is difficult uh, being a pastor of of this church in in one sense. Let me explain something to you really quick. As pastors in, in seminary, there are, there, there's, there's whole classes on how to pastor churches that are established churches. You learn how to meet people and their needs. You learn how to shepherd them. You learn how to preach to them. You, I mean, there's a whole, like, there's a whole cr- curriculum that shows you and teaches you how to be a pastor of a church that's established. Then there are classes about planting churches and how to be a pastor of a brand new church with brand new believers who've never heard the faith before and how you preach to them and how you lead them and and how you get them connected and involved. But I have never seen a class in seminary, I'm going to talk to my my profs this week, who have ever taught a class on how to pastor an established church while a church has grown by 500 people in nine months. That's what's happened here. When I got here, we had 348 people. We averaged 811 before summer started. I don't know how to pastor both churches. I just know how to pastor. And so for you new people who are, who are one among the, the, the 500 new people that have started coming, I, I'm just asking you, help me out. 
Number one, give me some, give me some, some latitude not, not to remember your name. It's not because I don't want to. It's just, I, I have a short attention span. <laughs> but that means I don't love you. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. But number two, please let us know how we can meet you where you're at and work with you to take you where God wants you to go. I'm asking you, please, don't be shy. Come and let us know. Hey, I'm new here. I'd love to figure out what your preacher was talking about. How can I get connected? How can I get involved? How can I get in a life group? How can I serve around here? We had a, I'm going to share this story and then I'm going to be done. I promise. We had a young lady who was here last week. I didn't meet her. I don't know who she is. I just was told about her by a couple of our staff members. Uh, she's 18 years old. She plays soccer for Grace University. You might be here right now. If you're here, I'm so glad you're here. She heard that Grace is moving their campus here in Blair. And so she said, you know, if this is going to be my new home, I've got to find a community to belong to. So she decided to come check us out. She was so moved by what God did here that before she left, she said, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, this is where I'm going, and I want, I want in. We would have never known otherwise. She could have just slipped right through the cracks. But now we get to establish a relationship and do life and ministry with her because she let us know that there's a need. Would you please let us know there's a need? And we need you to get involved in life groups. That's the best way you're going to get your needs relationally met, spiritually met, uh, 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 in, in community, is to get involved in a life group. We are hoping to launch 12 new life groups over the next three months. I need you to get involved. All right, I've said enough. I'm glad I'm back in the pulpit. Like, Kevin did a great job. I love the other preachers that were here, but man, I love preaching. Thank you, Jesus, for this time that we can come and experience life and ministry together we can encounter you and I pray that as we finish up our time together and continue to worship Lord continue to speak to our hearts Holy Spirit again meet us where we're at please 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 don't leave us here take us where you want us to go Lord I thank you for this church thank you for these people my brothers and my sisters in Christ that we get the privilege of doing life and ministry together Help us to always ask the why and never just default to going through the motions. Help us to always keep our eyes fixed and focused on you and to get into the game because I believe, Lord, with all my heart, your word is clear. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Lord, I'm asking you for the harvest. I'm asking you for favor in our community. And I just believe, I believe you that you are a God who answers his promises and that if every one of us would get out of the bleachers and into the game, this community would never be the same. Be it so, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.